0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Please be seated. This is the last Sunday of Epiphany, and so this Wednesday begins Lent. We are uh, now keeping our eye on Lent and on this season of Epiphany. God has manifested Himself. He's made Himself known to us, and we've been reflecting on that. And so now we're going to be moving towards our response. God makes himself known to us, and our response is a season of repentance. God shows us his glory, he shows us his majesty, his holiness, and our response is to repent so that we may become like him. And so we have this last moment now to reflect upon the ways that God has made himself known to us, And the pinnacle of this, if you will, is the transfiguration where Jesus reveals himself in his glory as God. This uh, should remind us of Moses and his experiences on Mount Sinai. You'll remember that it's on Mount Sinai that he sees God in the burning bush and that the Lord sends him into Egypt to find the nation of Israel. They are there in sin. Uh, They are there in slavery to sin. The Lord leads them out into the wilderness and he purifies them over 40 years. And so that number 40, like Noah's flood, is a, a time of purification, a time of renewal, a time of uh, teaching and focus on how to turn towards the glory of God. And he spends 40 days here on the mountain in uh, learning this uh, message of righteousness. So he's led the people out of the nation of Egypt, he's led them into the wilderness, and then uh, we read that the Lord takes them, uh, the whole nation, to Mount Sinai. The whole nation camps and gathers at the foot of the mountain, and then Moses and the elders are sent part of the way up the mountain, and once they're part of the way up the mountain, they engage in liturgy. You remember that they establish and renew their covenant with the Lord. Right, He says, make your promises before me, you're about to enter in. And so they reestablish covenant like we do in the Nicene Creed and in the Lord's Prayer. He has them uh, feast and he has them sprinkle themselves to make themselves holy with the blood of the sacrifices, just as we are sprinkled clean with the blood of Holy Communion. And then once they've had this feast and once they've reestablished the covenant, uh, then there is a six-day period, and that six days needs to remind us, of course, of the six days of creation. So we're taken back to Genesis, and we see that this is a Genesis project. This is a recreation project. The Lord has not abandoned Eden. He has not abandoned His Edenic project. His plan is to bring us into paradise, and so we're reminded that this is what Moses is doing. He's participating in bringing the nation. Not just into the promised land, but back into paradise with God, into dwelling with God. And then he spends these 40 days, again 40 days of renewal, where the Lord teaches Moses how the people are going to dwell with God. How are they going to tabernacle with them, and how is God going to tabernacle with them? He teaches them about building the tabernacle, about the worship that will take place there, about how he's going to lead them, how they're supposed to respond to him how they're supposed to dress themselves, how they're supposed to eat. See, the Lord teaches them all things that they need to know to live in righteousness and holiness with God, and to tabernacle, to dwell with Him as His plan always for us to live with Him in paradise. And He is revealing Himself in this fire, in this consuming flame, uh, because His desire is to Illumine us to to refine us like gold, and to burn away the dross right to burn away all of the refuse of our lives to renew us and to strengthen us and to refine us, and, and so he appears as this consuming flame that if we meet him in holiness will renew our strength, and so this is the, this is the lesson, this is the desire of God to dwell with us and teach us that we should be thinking about when Jesus also takes the people of God to the foot of the holy mountain. And again, like Jesus, uh, he leaves, Jesus leaves, like Moses, Jesus leaves uh, most of the disciples, most of his gathered group at the foot of the mountain. And then Peter, James, and John go up with them and he enters into prayer. Jesus enters into a kind of prayer uh, that is like a window opening or an aperture opening in the camera. Right. This is what we do in prayer. When we pray, we're opening a window into heaven. When we sit with time with the Lord and we wait upon him, and we wait to hear his voice and we speak to him, we are opening a window within our hearts. And sometimes it's just for a minute. Sometimes that little pinprick of light just opens in our hearts and we feel that little bit of warmth and we feel that little bit of light for the presence of God just for a moment that window is just opened a little bit and then closed and sometimes we might experience a little bit longer period a little bit more of an opening and the the glory of God really starts to shine forth and really starts to illumine our hearts and our minds and we feel real transformation as that window is opened larger and here when Jesus prays that that window is opened so large that it illumines his whole body, that his whole body glows white, and then his clothes turn white, and then even past his clothes, the window of heaven is open so wide that now the disciples can see into heaven itself where the Lord is talking with Moses and Elijah. See, we have a God of the living, not a God of the dead. Moses and Elijah are alive, and they're talking with him about what he will accomplish in Jerusalem. That is, they are talking with him about his... Crucifixion. They're talking about his sacrifice. And it's essential that we see the revelation of God's glory, Himself making Himself known, and His glory, and His sacrifice, is humbling Himself and sacrificing His life as being one. So often we want one without the other. We want all the grace of God, we want all the joy, we want all the benefit without the sacrifice. Can't we just have the good things and leave the sacrifice alone? But they are one and the same. They go together. And this is what the Lord is teaching them. This passage begins with Matthew saying six days later. Six days before he leads them up on the Mount of Transfiguration, we have that famous uh, back and forth dialogue between Peter and Jesus. You remember Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you have spoken rightly, and you know that the Messiah has to sacrifice and die. And you remember Peter saying, oh no, Lord, that that can't happen. And Jesus' response is, get behind me, Satan. Right? Because he doesn't understand that for the Messiah to bring forth his promise of salvation and renewal, he has to humble himself and sacrifice. Those two things cannot be separated. And so six days later, he shows them this truth. He shows them this by opening this window into heaven and discussing with Moses and Elijah, with the law and the prophets, this promise of sacrifice. And then he tells them, don't tell anybody what you have seen and heard until I have been crucified. See, he's not saying to them, we want to keep a secret just between us, or he doesn't want other people to know. That's not the case at all. Jesus is saying, you can't tell people about my glory without telling them about my sacrifice. The two go together. If you want to tell them about the glory you've seen, about the wonder you've seen, about the beauty you've seen, then you have to tell them about my humility and sacrifice. You can't tell one story without the other. And this is what they are coming uh, to understand as, as they come a little bit closer. You remember Peter says here, uh, Lord, let us make booths, right? Let us build booths. This is what Peter's response is. This is the limit to his understanding. Peter has gone a long way. He's gone halfway to understanding what's happening, right? Because he's remembering, as he should, what happened in the wilderness. As soon as he sees the Lord glorified, he's thinking back to Moses and Sinai. And his response is, let's celebrate that feast. You remember the nation of Israel celebrated that wilderness wandering with a feast called the Feast of Booths. The people of Israel were supposed to make every year booths for themselves, tents, right? That they're supposed to dwell in for a week to remember their time of wilderness wandering. So Peter's saying, I know what's happening. Here we are in a mountain like Sinai. Here you are leading us out of the wilderness, just like Moses. We're going to celebrate that by building booths. And the response to that is the voice of the Heavenly Father. The voice of the Heavenly Father says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. He is going to teach you more than dwelling in booths. He's going to teach you more than a remembrance. He's going to teach you how to live righteously. And this is what we teach as the church. And this is what St. Paul comes to instruct the people of Philippi. He says, Listen to the words of Christ and come to know how to live in righteousness. You remember that Philippi is the first city that is uh, that is met by St. Paul that he enters into and plants a church in the first city of Europe. And he goes into this city and he has a, an incredible response in Philippi. And the church is, is founded and is growing and is strong. And then behind him, after he plants these churches, come those who say, okay, yes, you've been baptized, And you've received the Holy Spirit, but now you need to be circumcised. Now you need to be uh, having this uh, purity uh, laws, right? You need to uh, keep your food a certain way. And St. Paul comes back to Philippi and he says, No, you're not called to outward signs. You're not called to to have these feasts of the booths. You're not called to have circumcision or to keep your food in a certain way. You are called to have transformed hearts and minds to learn how to live with God, to learn how to dwell with Him and tabernacle with Him. And so when when St. Paul says um, that I count everything that's come before as rubbish and, and I've suffered the loss of all things, he's talking about the loss of these outward signs, the loss of the outward signs of circumcision and of purity. Now, does that mean that we don't follow the law? Of course not. Does that mean that there's no place for outward signs at all? Of course not. But we need to know the difference between an outward sign and an inward grace and how they go together. Does that mean that we don't fast? Of course not. But fasting isn't the end of it, right? It's not the good thing in and of itself. Fasting is supposed to be showing us and helping us reveal and understand a deeper spiritual truth. And so St. Paul says, all those things are washed away because now I see what it is that the Lord is doing, how it is that He's bringing me into a life of faith. And you remember that very complex concept, faith, right? We've talked about how complex faith is, right? You remember this? God tells us what to do and then we do it. it. Remember that? God tells us what to do and then we do it. That's faith. Or faithfulness or loyalty, right? When we're loyal or we're faithful, We get our instruction, and then we carry it out. That's what St. Paul is teaching, right? What does he say? He says that I may know Him, in verse 10, that I may know Him in the power of the resurrection. So what's he saying? I need to know God, and I need to know who He is and what He's doing, right? That's God telling us what to do, right? He's telling us how to live, how to be. He's calling us to participate in that humbling and sacrificing of ourselves, Right? So that what? So that I may share in His sufferings and become like Him. So faith means I come to know who God is. I come to participate, to share in His sufferings, to become more like Him, so that, so that I may what? And sometimes in the church we say, so that we can go to heaven. Right? But St. Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say, so you can go to heaven. This isn't about going someplace else. This is about being changed and being renewed. What does he say? To attain the resurrection from the dead. Where does Jesus rise from the dead? Right here, right? He does it right in Jerusalem, right in his grave. He is transformed because what the Lord is doing is he is renewing his promise in Eden. He's renewing his paradise promise. This is where he has built Eden. This is where he is renewing us. This is where he is resurrecting us. So we know who God is, so that we can become like Him, so that we can share in His resurrection, so that we can become new and be resurrected like Him and participate and dwell with Him in paradise. And that is so powerful. That promise to dwell with Him in paradise, to be resurrected with Him, is so powerful that that is what changes everything. That is what changes our goals and our motivations and our hopes and our longing. See, he doesn't teach, oh, I've been saved and so now I can rest and relax. He doesn't say, oh, I've been saved and so now everything is okay, don't worry about it. What does he say? He says, not that I have obtained this. He says, I don't have it yet. And what does he say? He says, I have not obtained it, but I press on to make it my own. He says, I don't call it my own. He says, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward. Straining forward, what does that mean? That means that we are so, so desirous, so hungry, so thirsty for these things of God that we press on, we strive and we strain and we yearn for the things of God. This is a motivation that, that makes everything else pale in comparison because we are so desirous to live with God and to dwell with Him To have uh, that resurrection moment. This is our goal. And this is our prize. And this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise is that we have become tabernacles of God. We're no longer walking up on the holy mountain. We're no longer going up into the wilderness. The Lord has promised that He brings His own Holy Spirit here. We become the tabernacle. We become the dwelling place of God. And so we have been invited to participate like Christ so that that window of heaven would open in our hearts and minds so that we would experience that resurrection promise in humility and sacrifice right here. Right now, we can experience that today. We can experience it in every moment of our daily lives because the Lord has promised that he would dwell with us and that he would remake us. Let nothing come between us and that promise. Let nothing come between us and that striving, that yearning for the things of God and for his transforming love.